This is The Yay. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The Yay, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! We have a fantastic guest, Kimberly Ridgway. She is an actress. She is a writer. If you look on the internet and music, I'm sorry, movie database, she has three credits, uh, which is more than a lot of folks. Kimberly, uh, how are you doing? I am good this morning. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. Uh, it's you know it's funny. I, I, I begin every year. It's like okay, who am I going to meet new this year? Who uh, will I don't know have an impact or who will really resonate? And already we've done two readings. You know, you are my wife in one reading, and we did a wonderful August Wilson piece in another reading. So yeah. it's wonderful how um, you know we talk about the tapestry of the Bay Area theater, how people sort of know each other and how people connect. So you know, this is just another tapestry. This is another yeah. connection. Maybe we'll do more. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I think all three of us are going to be doing another August Wilson piece. That's right. Looking forward to that. I was just saying this morning, um, I had another uh, interview, and I was saying how in this area, we're one degree of separation. Yeah, <laughs> we truly <laughs> so it's, are. It's a lot of us, but we are one degree of separation. We know the next person, which is it's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Norman, I'm surprised that you don't. Did you know Kimberly prior to? Um, the August Wilson piece. I, I, oh yes, and I was gonna say I was. I'm, I don't want you to give anything away, but I'm curious. Interview for? Can you say anything? Um, it, not yet. You're not gonna jinx it. <laughs> not gonna jinx it. It's it's more of individuals that want me to be in a certain position, and Yay. so it was more. I guess it was kind of me interviewing them, right? It, it, you know, let me throw this out there. You know, this is theater, and um, with anything that we do, we need to have all of the information before we make the decision, right? That's important. Right. So what are my expectations? What, I be, what will I be working on? What do you expect me to do? And then what are my expectations of you as a theater company? Absolutely. So all of that is very important as we, you know, continue our journey of theater professionalism. Mm -hmm. Let us be really educated about what pieces we decide that we want to take on. You know, work-life balance, but also let's be passionate about the work that we're doing. And I think that's important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's one of the things that we've sort of emphasized, especially with young actors. You know, a lot of folks go into auditions, they're like, oh my God, I hope they choose me, I hope they choose me. But you're auditioning for them as well. You have to take care of your career and think of what you do as a business. It's like, hey, is this a good fit for me? You know, as a young actor, of course, you want to fill your resume up. But also, you want to be careful of the the roles you take or the company that, <clears throat> excuse me, you're involved in because, you know, you don't want to be pulled down or you don't want to have to work on a, um, a project that will take you away from a better project or one that'll pay you more money. And that's something that Norman and I, we've talked about on the yay a lot. That, that, so shameless plug. Yes. <laughs> As of this past Thursday, uh, July, uh, June 25th, I started my six week course. I am teaching a course called the actor's guide from first impressions to final bow. And it's really about theater ed etiquette and professionalism. And the very oh. first class was about headshots, resumes, how you present yourself at um, auditions, you know, what do you need? And one of the things that, one of the topics I covered was to submit or not to submit. Huh. So you need to know that this is the project for you. Maybe this is not a, a play in which you are passionate about. Is it worth the time that you have to put in? Is it worth five days a week for four weeks and then four weeks of performances? 
make sure that you're submitting correctly. So if I am looking for a African-American male and you're a white woman, that's not the piece for you. That's, that's, that's not the, the, the You ain't Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> right. And then right. More than anything else, is this something that you are willing to do? There are some roles I am not willing to play. Now, I also get that I am in a position in which I don't have to have the theater in order to make sure there's a roof over my head. I understand that. And, right. But we all have standards and we all have morals and you have to make the best decision for you based on what you have in front of you. And if you don't do your homework, then you get stuck in something where it's like, now I dread going to the theater. And then what's uh, going to happen? They're not going to get the best work out of you. Absolutely. Where, where are you teaching? Um, it's actually an online class through 42nd Street Moon. Through nice. All oh, right on. Cool. Yeah. 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 Yeah, we'll definitely plug that. We'll have a, if you send me a link, then we'll uh, have the link there. You know, we have a couple of folks. I think we have a steady audience of maybe 30 or 40 who download every week to listen to the yay. So, you know, that's, that's a nice little chunk of folks. And so people should know where to go to, um, you know, to learn. And, and are your prices reasonable? Yes. Yeah, uh, there's a, the full six week course, unfortunately, fortunately and unfortunately, it started this past Thursday, but it's $120 for the full course and then $25 for the drop-in. So if you're a four, full course student, then I also give you homework. So there I you make go. you submit to a project. I make you send me an online audition, that kind of thing, just to get um, it, a lot of the folks that are currently in the, in the course, the student course section um, are current working professionals, but it doesn't hurt. Even as professionals, we, look, we rest on our laurels. We start doing things kind of our way and it doesn't hurt to kind of yeah. get a it's like, it's like sh It's like sharpening the, the pencil. You know, the pencil may be a little dull. You know, right. it may be a while since you've been out there. And so it's nice to sharpen your skills. So I, I think it's perfect. Yeah. All right. I will make sure I do that. Cool. Norman, as I begin uh, each podcast, how was your week? I, I had to look in my date book because I was like, I can't even remember what's going on anymore. Um, but I did do uh, this wonderful thing with Cats, Contemporary Asian Theater Scene. It's a South Bay theater company. Yeah, with Jeannie, and, uh, Jeannie, with Jeannie right? Jeannie Baroga <laughs> and um, Ron Muriera. Um, he's an arts active, activist in the South Bay. Uh, he's Filipino. She's Filipina. Um, and we've all known each other for decades at this point. And... <laughs> Um, Jeannie came up with a little tagline that between the three of us, we had over a hundred years of theater experience. And I started to push back and then I did the math and went, oh, uh, yeah, I guess we do. <laughs> so it was fascinating. It was called Solidarity Through the Arts. And it was specifically about how, how the Asian and Asian American community can be allies to African Americans in this time. Yeah, and vice versa, I would, I would say. Um, vice versa, definitely. What we ended up doing more than anything is sort of talking about, A, the history of that interaction in America, um, which has a beautiful activist side. Uh, we didn't focus as much on the negative side, but, but we wanted to make sure people were aware. This isn't the first time, because a lot of what's going on right now is very exciting, um, the activism that's happening right now. Uh, there are a lot of the larger community they are going, they don't know what to do. They don't want to get it wrong. They're not sure if they want to be involved. And, you know, first you have to say, well, you're involved. You live in America, so you're involved. Wherever you go, whatever you do, you are involved. So 
what you have is an opportunity to make some choices about how you're involved. And we had a ton of resources. So that was sort of one whole aspect of it. And the other was just the personal. Personal experiences, our personal interactions, the ways we came together, the way we fit into that history that we talked about in the larger scene. And then going forward, you know, everybody has the you should and this is what has to happen next. And for me, it was more than anything, I thought Chappelle said it. I'm going to keep referring to that because I love Dave Chappelle and his yeah, special that, recently. Yeah, that's right. I where saw he, that. You know, he said he got called out. He felt like celebrities got called out by Don Lemon. And he was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> um, the people are out in the streets. They, that's what's going on. That's what's being said. It's being said there. So don't ask me what my opinion is of it. Listen to those people. And I do feel like young people are making the world change. The older you get, the more you start noticing that these aren't kids anymore. When somebody's in their 30s or 40s, they're not kids. They've been involved. They are, they are grown. They've been involved. But they see the world from a different perspective. And so they see things. They see opportunities that we don't see, that yeah. we can't see. The yeah. world isn't what we grew up in. We did what we needed to do to be safe. That's no longer necessary there are new ways to approach it. So I'm like, yes, let's hear what the young folks have to say. Yeah, you know, because we did uh, The Black in the Bay uh, a couple of weeks ago where we had a bunch of folks and Javier Reyes, you know, he works with young kids. Right. With, uh, Colored Ink. Young and adults, he, yeah. And he said it best, you know, there's like these young kids, they're not waiting for some, a leader, a figurehead to step in. They're going to go in the streets right now. Right. So, it reminds me so much of, uh, remember Charles Barkley's commercial, I'm Not a Role Model? Um, oh, right. Where it basically says, hey, listen, you know, sure, it's wonderful when celebrities and people who are of the know, they step in, they use their platform. But right. you don't have to wait for anyone. You can jump in right now and yeah. be active. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, so it's been, um, and that's been the big part of the week. The big thing today was we jumped up early to go get a U-Haul truck and got some gravel. So there's a place. If you drive, you know, if you go down High Street, right at the freeway, there's a big gravel yard. We went up in there and talked to them about what we could get and how much it would cost. We got, I think it's a half, uh, I think it's a half ton. I don't know. It's a lot of gravel. And we, so we don't have a truck. So we rented a U-Haul truck, loaded that thing up, and then came back and emptied it because we got a couple of projects going on in the back. And oh, nice. needed it. So... I've already been up. I've already been up and washed up twice. <laughs> <laughs> you and your green thumb. That's awesome. That's fantastic. And I want to hear more about, uh, you know, the backyard parties and the, the performances that you and Mara are nothing, doing. Nothing currently. We, you know, because other things just started happening. So it's yeah. been just as we were starting to get, we got four people the last time we did a jam session. And uh, that was the most we'd had. It was like, whoa, we got four people. Um, yeah. You know, we have to be careful. If we put it out too publicly, we don't want a line. We can't have a line. But, um, you know, we're talking about maybe doing some more. That'd be nice. Well, we can segue into some current events. I was reading this article in the Washington Post. There have been, unfortunately, I mean, one is too many, but there have been a couple of lynchings. Have you heard about, you know, the yep. lynchings that have been going on around the United States? Yep. I'm reading an article that says that there have been in the past, I think, six weeks, six lynchings in New York. Uh, there were two in California. There was one in Texas. Texas, yeah. Oregon, New York City. 
Um, the police are saying, well, a lot of these are suicides, but you know, the general public is like, well, we don't really know. I mean, I hate that every time they do that. I'm like, do y'all realize how much credibility you lose as soon as you announce something is a suicide before an autopsy has even been done? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, I can look at it two ways. I mean, and Kim, I want to bring you in as well. It, you know, if it if it's not a suicide, you know, there's been a rash of just racial. I mean, it's wonderful when the world can can march for the death of a black man, George Floyd. I was I was uh, we had a black in the bay last week, and I was saying, you know, if something happened to me as a black man, it's it's nice to know. I mean, it's not cool to be dead, but it's nice to know that someone would care about my life. Right. You know, prior to this, I wouldn't think, well, why would someone in China, why would someone in Australia care? But obviously the world does care. So that's nice. It's good that the Black Lives Movement has, but the byproduct is it's also brought in a lot of hate. Like I was reading an article about a woman who beat up a, a white woman because the white woman called her an, the N-word in front of her face. So right. I'm wondering if it's bringing up this, uh, this racial um, very evil rhetoric that's going on. I wonder what psychologically is happening as a byproduct of the Black Lives Movement. Mm. Um, do you have any thoughts on that, Kim, or no? Well, it, it's a couple of things. Um, you know, the whole rush to try to assume, try to make the world assume that these individuals are killing themselves in order to not have to deal with the real. And the real is lynchings are happening and lynchings have been, this isn't new. Right. Folks. You know, right. it's like the young man, and I was trying to remember his name and please forgive me, but the young man who was handcuffed in the back of a cop car and has a bullet wound. And they oh, said, oh yeah, yeah, he shot himself. Now, how do you shoot yourself when you're handcuffed? In handcuffs. Let, yeah. us, let us not, one, just, a, first of all, research people not everything that's out there is full fact so we right. need to research and look into this stuff ourselves but all of this isn't new the fact right. that the president that we have in office currently is the reason why we're in the state that we're in no sweetie this shit has been happening before 2016. Mm -hmm. this shit has been happening literally before the first boat got here. Yes. So let us talk about the fact that this isn't new, but it has been heightened. Now, one of the things I hear a lot is, oh, they're protesting for George Floyd. Well, let's talk about how we're protesting for all of the lives that are senselessly and racially taken from yeah. us based on nothing more than the darker hue. Right. Yeah. No, you've you hit the nail right on the head. And I wonder psychologically, I mean, because we've talked about the emotions. I mean, if, you know, I've, I've had, you know, and, and Shea Angela Aceveda, you know, uh, one of the, uh, our friends of ours who's an actor, he talked about being emotional, you know, crying about, you know, what's been going on. And I do wonder what ha what's happening psychologically with us. You know, we can come out of the ghetto. We can come out of the battles that we've had. Let's say you got yourself the job or you become an, an actor that, you know, is equity. And, but... Mm -hmm you can still have things that you, you're still struggling with. I mean, how do you deal with emotionally after you've had an encounter with a cop? And luckily you didn't <laughs> shot, but still, oh, it's, it's still within you. So even if some of these suicides, even if some of these hangings are suicides, mm -hmm. you know, obviously we need to know the real truth. Mm -hmm. I do wonder what's happening psychologically. Like there was one individual 
who identifies as a female who killed herself. I believe this was in, um, in Victorville, uh, California. I do wonder what's happening psychologically with us as black people, uh, especially in, with, in the mix of what's happening now. Well, you know, <clears throat> our whole social structure, I mean, as we've watched this, uh, this endless war that we are living through, this war that has been going on longer than any war ever in American history, um, and you see things like vets and soldiers are committing suicide at higher numbers than they ever have, that's not just about them. Our society has said it is acceptable to do all kinds of things that are psychologically damaging. So it should not be a surprise that across the board, suicides are up. We are not taking care of ourselves. We do not have a society. To even be in the position where we're saying now, I don't feel safe coming back to work unless you have taken certain precautions. And to have somebody threaten you with A, we might fire you, and B, you might not get unemployment unless you go to this place that you feel is dangerous, I think we could raise the bar a lot on mental health. Yeah. And, no, yeah, and yeah, our support no, yeah. for the mental health, you know, industries, because we are just letting people go right now. And how many people can we let go before we finally decide, Oh, that's too many. Yeah. And you know, it's interesting. I mean, I'll ask you the same question, Kim, but I'm so glad to have theater. I'm so glad to have arts. I mean, <laughs> being sequestered, it's wonderful to do these Zoom readings and to get my work out and to have other people work on other people's projects because it helps me psychologically to not think about the fact that either I'm sequestered and I can't go into the office and so I'm isolated alone mm -hmm. or I'm going into the office because I'm considered an essential worker and I'm putting myself at risk because, you know, my employer wants to keep working. Right. Um, but psychologically, well, first of all, psychologically, how are you doing, Kim? And what do you think about just the psychological nature of everybody in the age of the protest and COVID-19 and everything? So, you know, as, as an introvert, it has been a little easier for me to, quote, isolate. At the same time, I'm a human being and it gets, it gets weird sometimes. Um, a little while ago, a couple of weeks ago, straight up, I had a, I had an emotional breakdown. And I think that a lot of, I know that a lot of what I was seeing, especially cons, cons, around surrounding what happened with Breonna Taylor, I had a very similar situation that happened when I lived in Oakland as oh. to what happened with Breonna Taylor. Mm. Luckily, the, the cops that pushed through my door didn't fire because my boyfriend would have just been another individual on a list. But right. the cops uh, rushed through my door looking for an individual whose last known address was my address. Oh, oh God. So I woke up that morning to a knock on the door. They asked me my name and asked if anybody was there. I said, yeah, my boyfriend's in the back. And then boom, guns out. And all I could hear was, let me see your hands. Let me see your hands. And then they brought him into the living room handcuffed half naked. But wow. Wow. what if his quotes behavior from being awakened surprisingly had resulted in one of them pulling the trigger right so yeah, all yeah. Of that, i'm sorry go ahead right no, no 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 go, go please go ahead so i was saying all of that kind of stirred up for me and i had a little bit of a breakdown and then what happened was two days later i had to be in a meeting at work with everybody around me were rich white people i'm the only black person in the room and i'm saying room as in this zoom room Right. And I just, I was so on edge, guys. I was like, I am, I'm really waiting for somebody in here to call these people rioters. 
Right. I'm going I'm going they're going to send me the EAP in half a second cuz I'm going to go off. And nobody did but just the idea of we have to we have to be the ones that have to be okay. Right. In order to be able to do our jobs. No one one us no one's asking if we're good. And we we talked about the whole mentals uh uh really really just taking care of yourself mentally health wise, but we we also as a people we have to be able to afford that. We don't all have the luxury of having jobs that will send you to EAP for three, you know, three free sessions. Um, right. And then also we have to get over the stigma around going to get the help, going for the therapy. It is okay to have somebody to talk to. Absolutely. Sometimes your best friend just, you can't quite articulate how you're feeling to your best friend and you need someone unbiased. Right. So we have to get over the stigma of, well, you're weak because you need the help. No, there is right. strength in asking for help. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, and admitting that, you know, even though you may have survived something, I mean, I think all of us have had what I call ghetto stories. I mean, um, yeah. I can tell you whether it be me or someone who I've dated or a friend of mine who, you know, came out of, you know, let's say some mean streets or whatever, and they have a story to tell. And no, you're absolutely right. It's, it's so heartening to hear what you're saying, Kimberly. And yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, what do we do when we come out of it and we're surrounded by people who can't, who could not understand? I mean, we had Dwight Moore, Dwight Moore, who was on Black in the Bay, an ex-cop, and he talked about how he was taking care of a nephew who killed himself, you know, uh, a millennial, a young Black man. And uh, so... Yeah, we have to take care of ourselves. And like I said, segueing back into theater, not to make this a black in the bay thing, but um, theater art has a a job to be done. And the job to be done is to tell the stories, the real stories of what's happening from our perspective, not from another person's lens, but from our lens, but also to give us the ability to emote, to uh, to express ourselves. To invite the audience to feel. Yep. Absolutely. You don't want to cry. That's okay. I'll cry for you. As an actor, I'll cry for you. I'll laugh for you. I'll cuss for you. I'll do that for you. So as long as I get paid. <laughs> I, I have to ask, what is EAP? Oh, I'm sorry. It's an employee assistance program. Oh, um, I've heard that. Yes. I, yeah. So it's, it's, I don't know how this is across the board, but I know for government agencies, we have that in place and mm. we get a certain amount of sessions free um, a right. year. And uh, I am the first to say, oh, I will take my sessions when I need them. Oh, please. People, people need to, if we can make that a normal mindset in our, in our culture, we'll be so much better off. <laughs> yeah. So here's a, uh, okay, so here's, I tried to mix in some fun stuff instead of us talking about the serious stuff. And we haven't even gotten to like real politics like uh, Pence, Mike Pence saying, or well, the um, Or the primaries. Yeah, 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 that's right. But uh, Mike Pence basically says, well, I know our numbers are up as far as COVID-19, but those are young folks. They'll survive. And that was his little spin on the fact that the White House, they're not even doing right. uh, press conferences anymore. So, right. Well, and, but, you know, but you know the solution, right? What's that? <laughs> if we don't test, then we don't have any cases. Right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so, so, so shall I quote? Right. I, I've seen more than one woman post a picture of being pregnant and said, oh, if I'd never taken the pregnancy <laughs> test. <laughs> oh, boy. Don't no foul, people. You got to laugh. You got to laugh to keep from crying. Yeah, you're absolutely right. What you don't know 
can and very well hurt you. You know, I took a, I took the COVID test on Monday and okay. Wednesday. It came off negative, and I was like, okay, that's cool. But of course, I'm going to take keep on taking it. I mean, it's free, and we need to know. And California, we know it's surging, and and new and really, it's really the 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 South, the the states like Arizona and uh, Texas. Those are the states where, you know, the governors were like, well, hey, we don't care about this thing and we want to open up our businesses. Well, Texas backed off, though. He backed off. He's like, oh, maybe we got to hold off on this opening for a couple of weeks. Yeah. It's, it's going to take bodies. It's going to take bodies on the ground oh. for people Rich, to wake may up. I, may yes. I ask a favor of you? Yes. Could you let the people know what you have to deal with in order to get a COVID test? Like what the test in, in, encompasses? Because... I've heard, I, I know what it is personally, but I've heard things from a couple of different people and folks are really afraid of taking it. Right. So I think just to kind of ease some, some doubt. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so I, and I think you the same thing, Kim, uh, we're both, we work for the city and county of San Francisco. Um, I work with the DA's office and there is a, um, you know, I'll put up a, um, I'll put up a link. I think sfgov.org and COVID test, but basically you go in, it's free. It takes a couple of seconds. They take a little Q-tip, they put it right in your nose. They don't really dig right into your nose. So it's nothing uncomfortable. And they put it in a little, you know, a, a canister thing and that's it. They're like, see you later. And two days later, you get your test, test in. And uh, it's wonderful because you don't have to be insured. You know, a lot of folks are like, oh my God, I can't afford it. But there are free tests around. I'll make sure to put a link uh, for individuals, uh, especially for those who work for the government, who or local um, city government. It's very, very easy. Yeah, there uh, are a lot of, of local, uh, especially on a city level, there, there are free COVID testing sites. And you know what, give it a Google. Just Google it, yeah, yeah. You, you will find it. And if there's, you know, and again, it's all free. You don't have to be insured. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that, Rich. Yeah, and I walked past, I think it was 7th and Bryant, uh, 7th and Brannon and um, 7th Street, and they were like tents. And they're just like waiting for you to take a test. They're just waiting for folks to come in. They should have been in line, but you know, they're just, and they're driving. So you can, don't even have to get out of your car. I, I think the more in. we can put the word out on testing, the better off the nation is going to be because you still have that, you still have that edge of folks that are going, well, you know, where can you get a test and, and why is that important? And I think they will recognize if you know the testing numbers, then you can do that contact tracing. You can follow up on this in a way that keeps And you can also just know what's going on in your community. This, these are the testing numbers today. That should be a daily. These are the testing numbers today so that you know when you want to go to that restaurant that just reopened or go to the store, go to the park, that this is what's going on in my community. So when I see, it was weird because when we went today, I saw almost nobody in masks. I got together with a friend uh, Thursday and we went for a hike and everybody was in masks. And I was like, yeah, that makes me feel safe. I feel like I can come back out to this park because everybody's in a mask. When I go to the construction place and nobody's in a mask, I'm like, I'm staying 20 feet away from y'all. I'm not yeah. getting anywhere near y'all. I mean, here's the quid pro quo for those who want everything to be open. You want to go to a movie theater, you want to go to a restaurant, the quid pro quo is we have to get our numbers down. It takes all of us. So drive-ins are coming back. Oh, there you go. <laughs> They're talking about opening up the drive-in in Oakland. Yeah, there you go. Good old days. So put on your mask, do what, you know, London Breed, London Breed's done an excellent job. Yeah. Staying, staying on top of all of this. But if we want 
everything to be back to normal, it's going to take us doing our part. So there's yeah. that. Also, have you noticed that, okay, so Aunt Jemima, that brand, they're going to change the Aunt Jemima brand. <laughs> and You're taking away people's Aunt Jemima. I know. Yeah, and, they're going away with it. And Uncle Ben's. So Good. I don't know if to roll my eyes or to laugh or whatever, but it took this to get rid of these uh, racial stereotypes. So, As a kid, I remember Uncle Ben. I'm like, oh, <laughs> uh, well. So, do you like, I knew remember, we wouldn't buy no Uncle Ben. What? what? Do you all remember when Auntie Mama got a new, like, millennial look? Yeah. I, yes. She, she had a do-rag. She had a, what, the, uh, the Aunt Jemima, I call it the Aunt Jemima cloth, you know. The, right, so uh, originally she had the scarf on, and then yeah. they upgrade her to the press and curl. Yeah, I yeah, remember that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. that was considered yeah. progress. That yeah, was. <laughs> but it's still Aunt Jemima. You guys get it. She just has a new do. We all go to the beauty salon and get a new do. That doesn't make the image any different. Right. But did you see the, uh, what is it, Liberty University? The crazy, the woman did a speech, white woman doing a speech about, they're, they're, they're denying history. They're getting rid of, and this woman was a, she was actually a real life ex-slave. And I'm like, um, <laughs> and she had to lie yeah. to be Aunt Jemima to get paid. And so she was willing to do that. Now, I'm not happy about that, but I'm not mad at her. I'm mad at y'all because y'all made her do that. And when she said she wanted to tell the truth, y'all didn't want to hear it. Yeah. We, we actually had a yay podcast. I don't know if you remember this, Norman, with Lamont Rigel. There was a play on Aunt Jemima and the history behind it. And we talked about oh, it. Oh, yes. Yeah, I remember that. I read the play. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, for those who can check that out. So, yeah, it's very, very interesting. And the very last thing before we get into an origin story with Kimberly. So there is a movie called B that will be coming out next week. I'm, oh. I'm sorry, next year which will have an AI as a star. They're teaching an AI how to act. I read this on engagenet.net, apparently. Wow. So I'm just gonna read this real quick. It was up to the designer Ishiguro and Ogawa to teach Erica how to act, which they did by applying the principles of method acting to artificial intelligence. <laughs> uh, this is the article. Oh, I gotta scroll it up again. Yeah, this mm. is the article right here. Wow. Yeah, so AIs, I, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't feel, I, I, I'm not threatened about um, having not AIs. Not on stage. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? So. Well, did you see, um, oh gosh, what is it? Oh, the, um, I, I'm not a big Spike Lee fan, I have to say. But we saw the Five Bloods. Um, and the thing that I love that he did in that movie, there's a lot, lot of issues with the movie, but the thing that I love that he did was for the flashbacks, he did very little to make those guys. He kept the same guys, and he did very little to make them look 40 years younger. And so what it did for you, as a, I think, I feel like for an audience, what it did for you is to remind you of who this character is now and that these are their memories that we are experiencing. So the guy who's dead, um, we're Wait, experiencing him alert. through that lens. Go ahead, Kimberly. Spoiler alert. I haven't seen it yet. Oh, uh, well, no, you know from the beginning that there's, that's why they're going back. They're exactly. going back because they're, they're having a little, what do you call it? Um, they're going back to honor him. Got it. Um, so, but there are these flashbacks with him alive, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, they kept that. And it reminded me of, I read once that Tennessee Williams wrote Glass Menagerie. If you read the play, the play is told from the point of view of Tom now 
about what happened when he was a young man before he left home over 20 years earlier. So I remember reading about a production where they did it with Tom as like a 50-year-old man. And I was like, oh, damn, that's deep. Instead of the traditional young, the beautiful young man, and they always do a beautiful young man because, of course, all of the um, overtones of homosexuality that are part of the play. Um, instead, to do it as a craggy 50-year-old merchant marine <laughs> remembering when he was a young man trying to find himself, I'm like, wow, that's deep. And so rather than all of the crap that they're doing with CGI now, like what was that horrible film um, with oh, uh, De Niro and, and Pacino? Oh, the and the Oh, The Irishman. Yes. Uh, that stuff was horrible. Those moments were horrible. All the little flashbacks where you're like, oh. Because I'm sorry, Joe Pesci now, even when he knows he's acting a younger moment, is not giving you what a young person would give you. In the same way that when you make up an old young person to play old, you immediately go, ugh. Yeah, I think, yeah, I had the same reaction with the Irishman. I was like, okay, this is really good fellas, but, you know, they're mm -hmm. older and they're trying to be younger. And even though if you could put a CGI digital, right. really, that's what it is, to yeah. make them as young as possible, it still isn't, you know, it just, I don't know, it's like, it's what they call uncanny valid. You know, you're- right, exactly. You know, you're told to suspend your um, suspension of belief, yeah. but in your mind, you know this is not real. And the same thing with AI. There was there was one yeah. movie where it had all AI characters. It was as if it were a video game, and I'm like, this is not real. I've even watched video games where they try to simulate reality, and I know it isn't real. I mean, right. the emotions. So I guess one question before we get into an origin story: Can you code emotion? Can you code? Sure. You know. If yes, smile. If no, frown. You know, does it does it work? And you know, should we even? I don't know. Go that route. I mean, what well, do you, you can, think? but I I agree. I don't think you can code emotion. I think <laughs> you can code direction, right? Yeah, that's if true. If this happens, do this. Right. That's just a set of instructions. Right. I remember the the Joaquin Phoenix movie Her with um, Scarlett Johansson as the, the digital avatar or, you know, this, oh. this operating system. Mm -hmm. And basically he's fallen in love with this operating system because, well, you know, it's easy. It's almost like, you know, why well, fall in love with a real person? You know, I'll fall in love with someone who will never yell at me and scream at me and all that sort of stuff. But of course it gets old. It's so it's, it's interesting. These are interesting times in the age of digital technology. <laughs> with that, let's talk about Kimberly Ridgeway. Uh, so Kim, yeah. Give us an origin story. How did you, um, where were you born? Um, how did you get involved in theater? Oh, you wanted an, all right, here's a nutshell. So I was born in, in uh, Cincinnati, Ohio, raised in Oakland. When I was in Cincinnati um, in the, the first grade, there was a theater troupe that came to our school and they were looking for individuals to be extras in Peter Pan. Oh. And I was bored in class. I finished all of my work and so I volunteered. And I got to play the letter F. And that was the first time, and of course, what, I was six, but it was the first time since my mom and dad had gotten divorced that I had them both in the same room. And I was like, ooh, this is kind of cool. So then I didn't do anything else in theater until the fifth grade and another theater troupe came in uh, Lakeview Elementary School in Oakland. Uh -huh. And they needed extras for Oliver. And I did that and I was like, you know what, I kind of I like this performance thing. A black and girl in Oliver. <laughs> They just picked all the kids that raised their hand. It was like, okay, I can either 
do this thing or I can stay in class and deal with this math homework or I can go play the flute. And I didn't want to play the flute, but I was forced to play the flute because once again in my life, I was told I couldn't do something because I was a girl. So I wanted Uh, to play the drums and I was told I couldn't play the drums because I was a girl. Right. So cut to um, high school. Uh, My high school drama teacher allowed me to write and direct and cast and do all of those things. And I was like, yeah, I think this is what I want to do with my life. Acting was great, but it was something about being able to have that vision of really overseeing the whole project. And then that's when I decided at 17 years old, I was going to start directing. And then I wrote wrote a play uh, that got produced. I was 24 and I had to be the the writer, director, producer, and then my lead actor, one of my lead actresses got sick. And so then I had to step in for her. So I, first time in my life I did all that. And from that point on, I was like, if I can do this with just me, I know that I can excel with having other people in their expertise around me. And uh, the rest is history. Where, where was that? Where, was, where did you get to put up your own piece? Uh, it was at the Black Repertory Theater back okay. in 2001. Uh-huh. And um, they, uh, they had what they called a new arts program. Mm-hmm. So they would give you pretty much all of the resources to put the play on. And you would get a Sunday every week for four weeks. Well, in that particular uh, year, we got five performances. Uh-huh. So yeah, it taught me a lot. It taught me a lot. It taught me that I didn't know everything, which I really didn't think I did. Mm-hmm. But um, even to this day, you know, when we're talking 20 years later, I know that I don't know everything, but I know that I need to get the right people around me to mm-hmm. help me make my vision a, a piece of excellence. You know, it's interesting. You had talked about um, the uh, in 2001. I remember I was doing, um, it was a piece called, uh, no, it was in The Marriage of Bet and Boo. And Norman and I, we talked about this. September 11, 2001, it was very interesting doing theater around that time because, oh, yeah. you know, almost everything, I mean, the world sort of changed. And I remember we had our first rehearsal on September the 11th. And of course, we had to cancel it. Um, and it was a comedy piece. And so as we did the performance, this was uh, in 2002. People needed to laugh. People needed theater to get away from, you know, whatever they were feeling. Did you have that same experience when you did that piece at the Black Rep? You know what? That was January 2001. Oh. Wow. They, yeah, they called me the day after Thanksgiving 2000 and uh-huh. said, uh, hey, uh, you know your play's going up in January. And I was like, wait, who's this? So I had five, four weeks to cast it and rehearse it. And that was even during the holiday week. But I got to tell you, my folks were, they were so committed that they were like, whatever you need. And so the first Sunday after the new year is when we actually went up. Nice. So we, we, we quote avoided all of that. And yeah. I honestly don't remember having a piece around the se- September. Right. So I don't, I, I don't remember being involved in any theater in September of that year. Yeah, no, 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 that's fine. But I mean, it was still a thrill to have, you know, your first piece up right. and to have the Black Repertory Theater point to you and say, hey, we believe in you and we're going to support you. That's awesome. Um, I don't know. What is the Black Repertory Theater doing now? Are they still around? I don't. They're I mean, still they're, around. They're there. Um, I know they have a pretty robust, uh, like, children's education program or right. like summer camp thing. Because I know a couple of years they had done um, The Wiz. But right. yeah, I'm not, I'm not, not associated enough to know what's going on with the theater. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, no, I, I get a every now and then I get an email and I'm like, oh, you still have my email. Oh, okay. <laughs> I can't work there, but okay. <laughs> yeah, I just don't hear enough from them. I mean, it's it, and you know, I hear from the Lorraine Hansberry Theater. I hear, um, I'll be quite honest, I don't see not a lot of black theater, black repertory companies. Yeah. There really isn't. There's, um, oh gosh. And a lot of don't identify that way. Like there's, um, oh, what's it called? Um, in the Tenderloin, there's a theater company. Uh, can't pull up the name right now. Um, but I don't know that they identify as black, even though they're run by a black man and they do a lot of programming around black stories. Mm. I wonder why they wouldn't identify as, right? That would, um, that they're really much more cool. about that community, about trying to lift up that community. So, you know, that community has some black representation, so they that's part of it. But um, yeah. 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 When I think of the Tenderloin, I think of the Exit Theater because you know mm -hmm. they have a very yeah. uh, and of course I think Cutting Ball is is there as well. Yeah. But um, now Cam, nobody I, these days. Well, yeah, that's <laughs> very true. So you did. Um, I'm looking at your your the Internet Movie Database: Hope's yeah. Identity, The Confession, yeah. and Robin's Hood. Um, tell me a little bit about that. I mean, because you you're also involved in the film community as well. Yeah, I, I do way more theater than I do film, but uh, Robin's Hood was the first film that I did when I, I, I moved back to um, Ohio from 95 to 98. So when I came back, Robin's Hood was the first thing that I did, um, shot right there in Oakland. Um, it, was, it was a pretty interesting experience. Um, my first time really doing, doing a film in which there was no crew. So my, <laughs> my wardrobe change took place in the back of a car. Dig what I'm saying? Mm, so, yeah. but you, you know, you do things. So then right. the second thing that um, I did and actually, oh, it's not on my IMDb. There was a short film called Number One that is um, available out there somewhere. And then we did Hope's Identity um, back in 2014. Mm. Um, yeah, it got its premiere at the Grand Lake, the, the, the wonderful, infamous Yay. Grand Lake. Oh, right on. Yeah, and then The Confession was actually a short film that I wrote that I produced and ended up again starring in just because of the whole, the casting part of it didn't really pan out to where we wanted it to. So the producer asked me to go ahead and take on the role, which is something that I don't know that I'll ever do again. <laughs> I hear you. But as yeah. producer, I also, also had to be craft services and wardrobe designer and all that kind of stuff. And I don't feel like, if you watch that film, I don't feel like the, the my acting suffered based right. on the fact that I was also one of the executive producers and then I yeah. had so many hats. So I wouldn't do that again. Yeah. Now the camera picks up so much. So if you're trying to think about what else you got to do when you get off camera, mm -hmm. the camera's going to pick it up. Yeah. You know, there's so many people who want to do what you're doing or what you have done. The business part of it, I mean, how do you get funding and how do you get, uh, you know, eyeballs on you? I mean, have you, um, can you talk a little bit about that? You know, it, because I don't do as much film and, and most of the film that I've done were me just being actor, um, dealing with the confession, someone came to me um, based on my acting and, was, and wanted me to be in one of her productions that she was going to fund. And then based on that, she decided to fund the confession, which all of a sudden, once we got our cast and crew in place, she pulled out on me. And so mm. I ended up funding the production myself. Now, oh, yeah. it was a short film, 
and it didn't cost a heck of a lot of money. And I happened to be in a position in which I was able to do that. Um, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it because uh -huh. again, more pressure on me because now I have the financial burden as well. Um, but I, I, there, I mean, there are ways to do it. I'm just, I'm not an expert on how to, Okay. Uh -huh. you know, but, but grant, but absolutely, you know, there's, there's a lot of programs out there, grants and, um, um, well, I, you know, as, as much as you can, I would say go for grants because yeah. when you deal with a loan, it's another, you know, if right. I don't, oh, there, yeah. are, there are wonderful, uh, success stories, you know, Robert Townsend did yeah. Hollywood shuffle on credit right. cards. Right. So, you know, but by all means, we want to get the work out there, but we also don't want to, you know, re remove our entire life savings in order to get a piece of work out there. there. There's too many resources to to not do that. I hear you. So you never have to walk into a bank and say, hey, I need a loan. Basically, you uh, because grant writing, you know, a lot of folks know the artistic version of writing. Like, you know, we can write a great character or whatever, but the business part of it, you know, like actually writing grants and doing a presentation to angels and, and that sort of stuff. I mean, that's a skill all in itself. Well, partnership, partnership, partnership. Yep. Right? Find someone who you know can write and collaborate. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe that individual get get a get you know a stipend later or what whatever you all decide is going to be the compensation. But mm -hmm. again, we have to take self inventory. What are we good at? I'm good at this, this, and this. The grant writing thing, the going out and asking for money, uh, that makes me very uncomfortable. Yeah. But I may know some folks that have no problem putting both their right and their left hands out for my project. Collaborate. Yeah. Find people that you know have expertise in whatever it is that you need and get together and make it happen. There you go. There you go. Word for the wise. Now, you and I were talking off uh, before we hit the camera on how important it is to be a sort of jack of all trades. I mean, we had talked about how, you know, I'm not just an actor and a writer, but I had also been a stage manager and a light board operator. And I had to learn, you know, aspects. I had joined theater companies, some good, some not, some not really good at all. Some really crappy productions I've been a part in, but I learned a little bit of everything. So that by the time I put together my, you know, my vision or let's say my play, I know all of the elements that needed to put in. And I know the people that I can bring in. Um, can you talk a little about being, the importance of being multi, being, being, ha having the ability to do a bunch of things. I, I think it's really important to understand what all of the hats that a production has to, what all of the people who have to wear a hat in the production do. And um, because it could be Maybe you are an amazing lighting designer, but you're also the director and you might be an amazing costumer. But is that what is best for the production? Maybe you really do need to bring in the expertise, but it's great to know, it, you need to know what these other design aspects entail in order to know what you need, especially as a director. You need to know what you need. If, a, if an actor comes in and asks a question, you need to be able to answer it. You, by all means, Prepare, prepare, prepare before you get there. As a director, you know your prep work happens before that first day of rehearsal. And if you haven't prepared before that first day of rehearsal, then you've already failed a lot of people. There are two things that happen as a director that 
will cause major failure. One, you haven't prepared. You don't even know what your own vision is. That's a problem because then how can your actor do what it is that you're asking them to do when you don't quite even know what you're asking them to do? And then two, you don't know everything and that's okay. <laughs> you may not have all the answers. That is okay. But there's also a collaborative process that happens that will allow everything to come together a little bit more organically for success. Just always, always, always aim for success. Yeah. One question I have for you, Norman, as a director, how many difficult conversations have you had to have with, let's say, a production company or whoever's paying you to do a show, and they're not aware of the reality? You know, they may not know what they're getting into. It's like, hey, listen, if you want this to happen, then this and that needs to happen, or maybe you need to cut down. Maybe they don't understand the vision of what's going on. Have you had I to have any... Go ahead. As I've, as I've grown, as I've um, evolved as a director. When I started off, that was always a very tense, you know, I'm struggling with these people because they, they signed the paycheck. So how much am I willing to piss these people off? Um, and how much am I going to suck up to accomplish what they say they want or to give them what they are asking for when I don't think it's a good idea? I very quickly decided that just for my mental health, <laughs> Um, I had to approach it in a different way. And what I found was it's allowed me to be incredibly creative. I, I have an interview today for a directing gig. And I know that's one of the questions. In fact, I was just looking to see if I had any information. I don't think they pay their actors. Or if they do, it's a very small stipend. You are limited in the talent pool that you get when you do that. I'm willing to work around that, but one of the things I'm going to ask for is we need to start doing casting earlier than you might think because I want, I hate, as a person of color, I hate the, well, we were hoping to get a black person for this role, but we just couldn't find anybody. I'm like, well, have some early auditions, and when you don't see anybody at that point, you need to scramble. Go ahead, Kimberly. I actually have a question for you when it comes to that. So when... The, the rub is if you're not paying your actors or paying them very little mm -hmm. and then you cast early, yeah. there is the, the possibility that that actor won't stay with the project if another oh, yeah. production comes. So it's really difficult. Like, how, do you, how do you handle that? I know by all well, means. So part of it is when I say cast early, I don't mean cast early. I mean have auditions earlier so that you've got some flexibility. I think you still have to be careful about that communication. And then for me, I just, I'm direct. Um, I'll, I won't mention a name, but somebody we already know, in fact, somebody who's already been mentioned today, um, when we talked about his ability to work on our production, he was like, I am making a big commute for this. This is going to affect my ability to work outside. So I need you to meet me. And I was like, okay, let's have an honest conversation about that. And now I will go and talk to the producers because now, and that's, this is what I've found to, to answer the bigger question. Give me a budget. Tell me what you, and then I can come to you and say, you know what? I know you want that staircase in the back of the set, but that'll cost, if we're going to put one that is actually functioning, that will be your whole budget as you're saying it. So unless you have some way of solving that, Either we're spending all our money on a staircase, which is doable. I'll work around it. I got no problem with it. In fact, the creativity that will be required of me in that production, if all I got is a staircase, 
is going to be huge, but I'm going to make it work. Or we're going to say, well, what's reasonable? We can have something that looks like a staircase, but it ain't really a staircase, and we're not putting it out here. Somebody goes up two steps, and they don't go any farther. We make it look like they're going someplace. They never get up there. I'm happy to work around all that stuff. Um, but with the casting, I, that's where I want to put my money. I'm looking at these people's budgets, and I'm like, oh, y'all are paying everybody. Y'all are paying everybody else in this production. You cannot justify to me that you do not have some money to get the talent that we need. So don't tell me that you're doing the full Monty. We really had trouble finding a black guy. You don't pay no money. Yeah, exactly. There ain't that many black people out there that can afford to yeah. just do your little your little vanity project. Yeah. You, well, and, what, do we, what do we hear, though? We always hear, well, you should take on a project just to put something on your resume. You, just, you want to network. You want to no, 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 no. We're working. Right. We're just as valuable. You can have your full design team, but if you don't have anybody to say the words, you don't have a production. Yeah. So, so we actors shouldn't be the bottom rung of the ladder, right? right. Treat actors with respect yep. and yep. pay them. You may and, not be able to pay everybody a, a thousand bucks a, a mm -hmm. production, but pay them something. Show them that you value right. The yeah. Talent. And and here's the thing. And the actor that we were talking about is Shay Angela Aceveda. And, you know, we've had him on and he, go out him. No, no, no. That's fine. Because it's an actually it's a wonderful story for young actors. Know your value. Know right. that you have value. And Shay basically says, hey, listen, if you want me, you got to pay me this amount. And we knew I wrote the play Foreman in Paris and he played Chester Himes based on a real um, a expatriate historical, uh, writer, figure, yeah. historical figure. And we knew we wanted Shay. We knew that he was excellent and he sizzled on stage. I mean, yep. the women just loved him and we knew that he was a presence we needed. And so mm -hmm. as a writer slash producer, I was like, hey, listen, if you guys, the production company, can't come up with the money, I'm going to come up with the money because he's that important. I'll right. think out of everything, out of the lighting, out of the set building, right. every, out of the costumes, the most important thing are the actors. I can be compelled as an as a audience member just by watching great actors do, you know, do a scene yep. and, not, and not care that it's a black box theater or there's, yep. no, there's nothing on stage, that compels me. I mean, that's one of the great things about writers like Sidney Lumet. And um, who's the guy who did Glengarry Glen Ross? Uh, Sam, I think it's Sam. Mamet. Mamet. Mamet, David Mamet. The words are so great that nothing else matters. I mean, right. nothing else, you know, the costumes and everything just blends, just fades. And you focus right. on the, the script says, slam the door. You don't have the money for a door. You do something else. Exactly. You, if you act that moment, when you make that exit, the audience ain't going to worry they didn't hear a door slam. They will buy the moment. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and the last thing, I mean, as far as, and this is a question I'll ask for you, Kimberly, as a director, and I'm sure you've been hired by companies. But, you know, um, a production company should not produce. Don't produce if you don't have the money. Don't say, don't say, hey, look, hey, yeah, we want to do this thing. But, you know, we're a young company. We don't have the money. Get the money and then do the show. Have you had to have those difficult conversations, Kimberly? Absolutely. I've been having those conversations since 2010. <laughs> right. so I, get, I get that you want to put this project out there. And I know that you're passionate about it. But uh... somebody got to pay the bills. <laughs> right. It's, you, you're not if you you're never going to. You're never going to get to the level of the excellence in your head without any money in the bank. 
So you show me the budget and you show me the money in the bank and, and, and no more for this. Oh, the actors are going to be able to split the door sales, but it ain't seven, but it ain't for seven oh. in the audience because you can't walk with this shit. <laughs> right. Right. For what? Yeah. For what? Our four, 14 of us are going to spend seven bucks. Right. I'm not going to pay you to be in your production. You do the right thing. This is, this is the business of entertainment. It is business first. And then I promise you, if you make sure that you can pay people and get the right people in place, we will yep. make sure the people are entertained. Yeah. The money comes first. Yeah. I have a question for you, Kimberly. Uh, so I don't know if it was last year. It was when did um, the, it was the controversy of um, Thomas and Sally. When did that happen? Uh, seven, I think eight? it was 2018. Yeah. Oh, I I'm, think so. Yes. Sure. So the question that I had, because for those who don't know, I think it was, uh, was it Marin? It was Marin Theater Company. It was a Marin Theater Company, and they had a very controversial theater production of Thomas and Sally. Basically, it was a story about this supposed equal relationship between Thomas Jefferson, the third president, and Sally Hemings, his slave, despite the fact that Sally was, I think, 14 years old and really had no choice in the matter as far as being a partner. Right. In any case, they wanted to do this production. Many Black women not only refused to play the role of Sally Hemings, but protested and said, hey, this is a troubled production. Right. Yet the production went on. So I guess the question I have for you, Kimberly, I didn't know if you were familiar with that, but your role as both a director wanting to see, you know, uh, actually as, a, as an actress, I guess the role of the black actress, um, having your story being told, you know, whether you're a cast in something, where do you see, especially in Bay Area theater, how black women are treated as, as actresses. <laughs> That's <I> know, <laughs> question. That's we got some more time. Yeah, go for it. I think, you know, I think it comes down to a couple of different things. I think we as, and, and okay, I'm going to speak from the black actress. Okay. But I think this, what I'm, the statement I'm going to make is across the board. We have to be very diligent about what we accept. So if there is a piece of work out there that is, um, for, for lack of a better word, controversial, you know, mm -hmm. we were dealing with, for instance, Sally, not only was she underage, but she could not consent. This is not a right. mutual loving relationship. Right. So we have to decide whether or not we're going to go ahead and play those kinds of roles. And if we continue to play those kinds of roles, they're going to continue to be written for us. And then what else do we have? Right. So our morals, our standards have to really like you know what stick to them whatever level of that standard is for yourself you got to stick to that there have been plenty of things kimberly ridgeway has turned down so i'm like i'm not gonna be part of that mm -mm, i don't believe in that i don't play those kinds of characters now at the same time as i said before i have the luxury financially of not having to take roles and i know that that's not the same for everybody i get that so if it comes down to me having to play Sally or me having bread on the table, I'm likely going to play Sally. I do right. understand that. Right. But the more that we as a community can put our foot down about the fact that, no, we're not going to do that. Now, I cannot tell you how many times in the past year that I have had conversations with white, white writers who write for Black people. And I'm like, um, this individual is a professional male who is the boss of that woman, of that white woman. So why does her husband say true, but the black man say true that? Why can't yeah. he say true too? You know, can right. you just write English? 
Mm-hmm. And I promise you, if you want a little quote flavor in your black actor, let that individual create that character. But you don't oh, have to write for us a certain way. We're yeah. not one type of individual. We are multifaceted, honey. And quit assuming that everybody is exactly the same. And you got you have to write hip in order to pander to us. Mm-hmm, That's yeah. not okay. So put your goddamn foot. Oh, I'm sorry. My my potty mouth. Oh, it's it's okay. okay. It's all good. Okay. But you know what I'm gonna say? Put your goddamn foot down and don't allow this to continue to happen. Yeah. Us, as individuals. I wrote a very long email to a particular writer and um, you know, for a performance that, you know, both you and I did, basically, you know, explaining how his play could be stronger and it was it was very detailed. Any case, now as a um do you th- are are there roles? Are you seeing in the Bay Area theater roles that truly represent us, or do you think there's a a deficit? Yes, and yes. I hear you. <laughs> there hear are you. roles out there for us that um, that are written from from our perspective, our stories. But are there enough of them now? Yeah, I hear you. As a writer, what is your voice? I mean, what do you want to convey? Because I always have to remind myself, not only are the actors, the, the, the things that, you know, the players, you know, the actors, they do a performance, but the, the director and the writer, they're doing a performance as well. They're conveying a story. When you write, what is your story? What do you want to convey? What, you know, what, um, what do you want when people see a Kimberly Ridgeway performance or a uh, play, a yeah. production? What are, what are they seeing? What do you yeah. want to convey? As as a playwright, I do write from a woman's voice, um, and I do write from the voices of people of color. So um, not necessarily black women, but I'm a black woman, so I kind of write my my heroines are black women. Um, but it's also important for me as a black woman to not write quote bad black men thank you yeah thank you so much very very important that when whenever i write like especially when i write relationships between black men women and black men i really focus on the black woman and the decisions that she makes in the relationship so if you know i had i had one play uh, the very first play i actually wrote in which the black man kept telling her i don't want to commit i don't want to commit i don't want to commit he's telling her everything she needs to know and then yet she kept calling him a dog and i'm like but dude so so her girls are like but dude you he told you that he didn't want a relationship what's happening here so we have to really examine how we go into relationships but it was just important that none of them just were quote dogs or um none of them were uh, bad, uh, uh, absentee fathers, stuff like that. Oh, you know, can I throw this? Let me throw this one other story out there. I was in a play that went up uh, actually this year. And the original play had, it wasn't written for Black women, just so happens that two Black women happened to be the best auditioners. And so we were cast. And the original iteration of my character in draft one had her pregnant. And then when I saw draft two, she, she, she was visibly pregnant in draft one. In draft two, she revealed that she was pregnant and her friend said, well, is he going to be able to be there for you to take care of the baby? And she goes, no, I'm gonna do it on my own. And so I called the playwright and I said, you do realize that you just added the stereotypical absentee black father. Mm-hmm. And so the playwright removed that from mm-hmm. the Good. play. Good. So again, it is important for us as black actors and actresses mm-hmm. when something doesn't feel right or something just straight wrong have the conversation it is okay to have the conversation 
I am again in the position in which that if I have this conversation, the person goes, well, you know, we just can't work with you. Okay. You know what? You're lost. You don't, <laughs> this gonna sound really vain. Well, you don't right. take the really rich way, but what I'm not going to do is be a part of a project in, that I don't believe in because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm going to resent it, and then you're not going to get your best work out of it. Right. Yeah, I hear you. You know, Norman, I think about you and your relationship with uh, Jeannie Baroga. Not only, you know, have you directed some of her pieces, but you two have the type of dialogue conversation where you can tell Jeannie, hey, there's something about this play. Like, I think of Buffaloed. You know, yeah. Jeannie wrote a play about the Philippine community interacting with Black um former Civil War soldiers in the Philippines and their right. relationship with each other. What conversations have you had? Have you had to have conversations with Jeannie's like, hey, listen, you may want to think about that character or when I read this piece, it reads this way or that way. What I've learned working with writers in general is if I feel like I know something that is misrepresented or not represented in the piece, I'll try to hold on to that as that's my perspective. Um, but more often, I'm not understanding, I'm not connecting the dots. The piece is not connecting the dots for me. So I can come at it from that place of, I'm missing something. I'm not hearing this, or I'm not finding out what's going on here. I feel like, or I feel like there's an opportunity that's being missed. Um, and what I'm trying to be very aware of is, everybody wants to rewrite your play. Everybody wants to rewrite your play, including me. So... I'm going to try and find that impulse and go, okay, let's put that on a short, short leash and instead say, here's what's not connecting. Or like I said, here's what feels like it's going the wrong direction. It wasn't specific to the blacks because she based that play on historical figures. Um, and so she wanted to stay true to their trajectory. And to her credit, it was much more about the history was sort of underlying what was going on but it informed for the actors, you know, if this guy by the end of the play is going to go off into the jungle and become a rebel, which historically happened, um, he might start off as a down-home boy from Alabama, but he is going on a journey in this play, and that's an interesting journey. She, um, no, she's, Jeannie of all people, is really careful about that. Her characters tend to have a very individual voice, and I actually find it frustrating if you are looking for the ethnicity in the character, it, if, if it's reflected, when it's reflected there, it's reflected in non-stereotypical ways generally. Um, which means as an actor, you sort of have to dig. Oh, if this boy is supposed to be a country, they actually made jokes in the play about somebody being from the farm or being off the farm. Um, that's a real specific image. She doesn't give it to you in dialect or anything with that character, she gives it into to you by the way other people respond to them. And then you can decide whether he lives that or if that's being projected onto him. I love the complexity of Jeannie's work. We're, we're working on a, a new play now. In fact, I'm supposed to be getting casting done this weekend for a reading of it. And that's set in Richmond in the shipyards. And I'm looking at a bunch of these other characters and going, oh, I guess I should put some white people in here. She didn't really designate a bunch of them. I mean, one guy's an Irish guy. Yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to make him white. Yep. But, um, but there are other people, and I'm like, well, at my, now I'm going, how do I balance this so that I do reflect the community of that time? Jeannie's plays have that flexibility. I love that about them. Yeah. One question for you, Kimberly, and I know we've hit the one-hour oh, mark. So we can close it up. <laughs> I'm sorry. Go ahead, Kimberly. 
because I actually had a question for the two of you. Yeah. So, um, it, you know, Norman has, as, as a black man, has directed shows of other people of color. I, I directed shows about the Armenian, I directed a show about the Armenian genocide. So I'm directing not necessarily for just black folks. I am wondering how you all feel about white directors who direct an all black cast. Depends on how they approach it. If they approach it with a sense of respect, Yay. If they approach it with either a real, like, I'm trying to get this right, that's wonderful. Or if they approach it with a flexibility around, they have their goals and they're going to let me try to find my way to it. Either of those work for me. Yeah. What I, I hate is when I have to educate a director that <clears throat> you might not think of my character as black, but you cast me. Yeah. So when I walk on stage, the audience is going to see a black man. Right. And if you don't know how to deal with that, I'm making some just suggestions for you. <laughs> the only, um, the one example that I would have, so I did a piece, as a matter of fact, Norman and I, uh, we, they wanted an equity actor. I mean, I'm sorry, they wanted an actor, but Norman was equity, so they couldn't cast him, so they cast me. Um, it was an Ethel Fugard piece. It was uh, sure. Statements. And I had to be naked on stage. I was a South African uh, who was uh, cheating on my wife with a white woman. And uh, my, my co actress Lorraine she was naked on stage as well directed by Chuck Polly who's no longer with us mm -hmm. and Chuck is white and um and of course being a South African I mean I was sort of out of my element because although he's it's black I've got to learn another I got to put myself in another time right in another era and especially I think in the play he's colored uh yeah but I mean I approached it as you know a black man coming from uh, the you know the other part of I, I lived in one part of Johannesburg, South right. Africa, which clearly you know there were black people there. So I didn't really see myself as a light skinned or a mixed uh, you know individual, but as mm -hmm. a black person. Um, my interactions with Chuck, you know, I think a lot of direct. The the good thing about Chuck was he allowed me to make adjustments from a black perspective. Uh, maybe I couldn't make the connection as being a South African, but I certainly knew about growing up in the ghetto and then coming to another part of town where I feel um, unfamiliar with and even ashamed to be around. Because really, a lot of the dialogue with statements is about, hey, you don't understand where I'm coming from. You don't understand right. the sacrifices I'm making in being with you, this you white woman, and how, although you're struggling, you're still in your skin. I'm in my skin and you can never understand what I'm coming through. So those are the connections that I can make. And the director allows me to make those connections. If I'm going way off the deep end, he'll say, okay, hey, you need to, this is my, this is my vision and you're sort of veering away from it. But he allowed me, and I think it's important for, if, you, if you're not, if you're from another minority, if you're white or you know, if you're somewhere else, you had better allow me as a black person to make whatever adjustments or allow me to have a conversation with you to say, hey, listen, from a black perspective, I look at it this way. I don't see how it makes sense for me to go this way or that way. Right. Um, and if I'm not allowed to make that adjustment, then I've made a mistake being in the play and the director's made a mistake casting. It's like, hey, you cast me for a reason. So, right. you know, you, you need to deal with it. Uh, I hope that answered your question. It does. Well, Thank so you. Both of you. Uh, yeah. 
Go ahead, Norman. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say to tie it into the AI conversation earlier, there's a lot that you can program into the AI. As a black actor, I have learned, because the other thing is, I've learned a long time ago to stop arguing with directors. Either you can show them that your way is the right way, or you can try it their way, and if they're satisfied that with that and you aren't, then you can see if you can find some wiggle room. But I'm often forced to create the reality of being a black man in that role, and I don't always get to dialogue about it. Yeah. One question for you, Kimberly. As a director, have you had to have difficult conversations with actors? And this is something that I've asked a lot of directors. <laughs> it's like, listen, this is my vision, or this is the direction, or you're getting something from the actor, and you're like, oh, whoa, wait a minute. That is not, that's not where I see things going. Yeah. <laughs> how do you, well i mean how do you how do you talk to an actor to get them on your page you know for the most part it's really just having a one-on-one -on -one conversation and being respectful in it right mm -hmm. so again i go in saying hey this is my vision i'm going to block my show before i start the show i have an, an idea of where these characters are going to go before we even start rehearsal then again the actor may do something in which i'm like oh wait that was better or they do something, I'm like, no, that's, you went rogue. Let's talk about that. Now, what is important as an actor is, you know, take my direction. And again, you may not agree with it, but let's try it. I have, I'd be the first to tell you that I have given a piece of direction and then they do it. And I'm like, ooh, uh-uh, I was wrong. You, right. Hey, I've right. been wrong before. I was wrong in 1992. I'm wrong today. Let's right. just, don't worry about that. Let's move on. But the, the most difficult thing is when I give a piece of direction and the actor absolutely just doesn't do it. Right. Or they hear me, they do it, and then the next time they do it, they go rogue. Yeah. I'm like, okay, we're not gonna have that. Um, but I've had to have those difficult conversations. I actually had an opening night in which, on opening night, the actor did the exact opposite of everything I asked, 90% of what I've asked him to do in act uh -huh. one. So what, and I never, ever, ever give notes after opening. I don't, right. I did my job. I had to sit this actor down three times during that run. And I was like, now you're being disrespectful, not only to me, but to your co-star and to this process. Wow. This is a team effort. Yeah. It is not about, it's not about Kim Ridgway. It is about the production and we need to do this with some excellence. And if you're not going to do it with some excellence, then maybe you weren't the right, you weren't the right hire. Right. Um, what, do you think it was a uh, gender thing because you were a woman? Oh. No, 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 that was an ego thing. Okay, I hear you, I hear you. Because 100% an ego thing. And I can tell you as, as a woman director, rarely do I feel like I am being disrespected based on my gender, uh. rarely. I don't, I don't know that I've ever felt that. I have felt being disrespected based on personal um relationships because i knew this individual and they felt like they could get away with some things right or i felt like i was disrespected early in my career because i was a young director mm -hmm. rarely do i feel that way as a woman well, and i can also oh, i'm sorry i'm gonna say this i can also say that if for some reason i did feel disrespected or there was some i, I had an issue in which someone was a little inappropriate with me mm -hmm. you know sexually and it's like <laughs> yeah we're not gonna have that Right. <laughs> Let's, we're gonna sit down and have this conversation, and don't let it happen again. And I, I don't want I don't want anybody to feel like they're expendable, but that I will not deal with toxicity. All right. 
on my project. I will not. I will get rid of somebody and do the job myself if I have to, but I'm not going to let that bring down the anybody else. I hear you. Have you had to fire anyone? <laughs> yep. You have. <laughs> yep. Tell us. Tell us about it. Um. I. I. There. 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 Basically, three expectations that I ask of actors. I ask you to do your work. I ask you to be on time. And well, four. No gum. And <laughs> <laughs> I cannot do it. I have misophonia. That's one of the first things we talk about. I can't hear gum chewing because my temperature will change. There's a chemical reaction that happens if I hear somebody pop gum. But and then the fourth one is have fun. Yes, this is work, but I really do want you to enjoy being here. Mm -hmm. um, but if you can't adhere to the time, if every if I say that rehearsal is at seven o'clock, you really actually should be showing up before seven because rehearsal right. starts at seven. But if every time I look up, you show up at seven fifteen, that's going to be a problem. It's disrespectful. Um, right. I've had people who just no show rehearsals. Mm -hmm. wow. Sorry, oh, that's God. disrespectful. So what's going to happen is I got to get rid of you and find right. another way. So yes, I've done that before. And I've also done it where, you know, a couple of weeks into the process, I could just tell the person wasn't doing the work. And I sat them down. I was like, do you really want to be here? Is this something that you want to do? Well, I got all this other stuff happening in my life. And that's okay. That's okay. But right. I'm going to go ahead and sever this relationship right now because I want you to take care of yourself mentally. And then right. I got to take care of my production. Yep. There you go. Norman, have you had to fire anyone? Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and and um, even when I haven't um, fired them, I've had friends. When you mention that thing about people know you and they think they can get away with stuff, I'm like, um, you know, yeah. When we're when we're sitting around and just talking shit, it's fine to talk about what you would do and how you want things to be. But when you make a commitment and you blow off your commitment because. I, I don't know. There's no good reason. I'm like, uh, yeah, no, yeah, that's that's not that's not gonna work. Mostly, I, though, I feel like I just try to see as as much as possible. I try to see every obstacle as an opportunity. And I know it sounds you know Pollyanna to say that. I I don't mean it that way. What I mean is, if I'm stuck, I can't get what I want. I can try to finish the production the way I want to do it. And my audience is going to see it not getting where I want it. It's clear I wanted to get there. And so I've got to change my vision of what I want. If I only can accomplish this much, then that's all I can accomplish. What can I do with that to make that interesting? And I love it when people come up and compliment those moments. I'm like, well, <laughs> I so wanted it to go a whole other way, but I'm glad to hear that work for you. <laughs> yeah. There you go. One last question before we wrap it up. Where well, do you I see... got one before you get to your last question. No, go for it. Are you still working with Ubuntu? I'm sorry, say that one more time. Ubuntu. Where Are you I... still working with Ubuntu? Yeah, so I'm, I'm their company administrator. So, hey. um, yeah. <laughs> so um, when, with, as, as of right now, that there's going to be no more per, um, productions for the rest of the year. Right. Um, that's what the word is right now. So something yeah. may change. You know, we come up out of this Rona situation. And then right. uh, we can get back to some more theaters. So I'm, I'm seeing not only with Ubuntu, but a lot of theaters doing a lot of online content, which is great. I think yeah. um, what's important though, outside of just Ubuntu, this is just theater as a whole, let's do some online content with some, some reasoning, some, right. some excellence, and don't just throw content out there just to keep your name there. Just, right. You know, ha have some substance. 
And so I'm starting to see a lot of that, which which looks really good because that wasn't happening in March, but it is happening now. Now, a friend uh, told me about, um, oh gosh, I can't even remember what it's called now. What do we talk about, I think? Um, it's out of New York. Um, and it's a group that apparently, they created a family, the Apples, that started with 9-11. That was the first piece. And they've done at least four pieces. So they did one, bringing them till now. What are you doing now? And of course, it's all on Zoom. Um, fun piece. Uh, fun is not the right word for it. They use Zoom well. The writing is amazing. The acting is wonderful. And there are all these moments where the four of them, four, it's five actually, but um, they're in four screens. And there's so many moments where you're, somebody is talking, but you're seeing what the other people, who is engaged in this, who is checked out, and why are they checked out. Um, wonderful. It's a wonderful piece. I'm not thrilled with all the Zooming that we're doing, calling it theater. I am thrilled with all the exploration and experimentation around it. Ultimately, people are going to be hungry to get back to live theater. So I just hope another, enough organizations are hanging in there with that vision of what are we going to do when we get to it. Yeah, and I certainly hope that uh, theater companies don't fold because I know, I know a lot of, you know, the- Some are going to go. They just are. Yeah, the margins are so thin with a lot of companies that, mm -hmm. you know, um, some won't be able to- um, survive next year, but I'm hoping yeah. that they do because I'm starved for theater as well. Kimberly, where do you see yourself in the future? Um, where do you see yourself, I don't know, five, 10 years from now? Oh, you mean after I win the lottery and build my house in the side <laughs> of the house yeah. in yeah. Canada? And don't, uh, get your friend, don't get to hook up your friends. Yeah. Oh, no, 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 I'm gonna send y'all postcards. Okay. Up in the hills, but not Montclair, please. <laughs> um, I, I, I find myself kind of transitioning a little bit more out of acting and more into directing and writing. Mm. Um, I just, there's something, I, when, when I was 12, someone asked me what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And I said, I just wanna be, a, I wanna be a playwright. I wanna be a writer, I just wanna have a room with a, with a bay window and a computer. And I just wanna write, write, write. So that's where I would love to see my career go. Mm. And, I'll, and I'll grace the stage every once in a while when the project is right for me. Uh -huh. um, but yeah, that's important to make sure that whatever project it is that I'm working on is the right one for me. Yeah. Do you want to write for film? I mean, have you thought about that? I've done, and I've done that. I, I have about eight complete screenplays. Oh. Um, I have two unproduced uh, stage plays that are uh -huh. sitting there. And I just, I just, I just gotta, I gotta get off my butt and start submitting. And I just yeah. haven't really been doing that. How about a, like a YouTube channel? Have you thought about that? Ah, yes, thank you. Thank okay, you. Okay, so here, okay, and this is this is probably going to uh, surprise you. And I told you, Reg, I'm very much an introvert, but I love to perform, but I hate being the center of attention. I hate it. The worst thing about performing to me is when I have to meet the audience afterwards. It is so uncomfortable. Yeah. So I just, you know, as much as I cannot have to put myself out there as much, the YouTube channel just doesn't, it yeah. doesn't move me. But you can have a YouTube channel and not have, not showcase yourself. You can like produce something and just put it on YouTube, right? Okay. You can. Oh, so you could like do that for me, huh, Rich? <laughs> Man. We'll talk offline. <laughs> offline, we'll talk. But sure. no, I would love to get some more. I have a bunch of, of things that are just sitting here that I would love to produce, get them out there, direct, hire other people to direct, whatever, and just get the work out there. 
Yeah, I honestly think that's the future. I mean, you know, theater, I mean, nothing will take the place of theater and being on stage and being an audience and watching live theater. But I honestly think, I mean, when we did Four Men in Paris, I filmed it and I have it on YouTube right now. It doesn't get a lot of clicks, but I'm glad that it's, it's at least there. Right. And it's something that the, the, uh, the actors can say, hey, click on that YouTube link and see my monologue that I did. And so that's a wonderful thing. Wait, so the, the whole play is there? Yes. Yeah. You know, I missed that play because... I was in another show and we, we uh, both of, we were performing at the exact same time. Right. So I never got a chance to see the play. I didn't know it was available to watch. Yeah, yeah I'll send a link. I'll send a link to you. Guess what I'm doing a day later. <laughs> awesome. That is awesome. And well, your, your, your listeners know about the link, right? Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, and I actually reposted it uh, earlier this year as COVID-19 was going on because everyone is on YouTube. Everyone is watching. Everyone is star for content. So I was like, right. well, why not? Get, get well, a can, I do a, can I do another shameless plug about absolutely we're, we're, we're moving towards that anyway yeah <laughs> so um, I would love to um, get the information out about the play that I wrote the drowning pool we had a live uh, streaming reading of that and it's still available up on YouTube as well yeah there you go the drowning pool yeah 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 we'll have a link to that people can okay. click on the link send me the link uh, via DM PM and uh, we'll we'll post Just that put it in the chat Absolutely. All right. Sh shout outs. Birthdays. Oh. <laughs> I am not prepared. I am so sorry. I, I'll, I'll, I'll go first. I was shoveling. It's okay. I'll go first. So uh, today, Richard Jennings' birthday is today. Richard Yay! Jennings. Yeah, he is a, uh, he's a composer, a brilliant composer. I think he's done a bunch of uh, commercials and stuff. And he heads along with, I want to say Marilyn, I think is it Marilyn Langbeth? Am I getting yeah. the name wrong? Okay. Uh-huh. Uh, they do Musical Cafe, and so they have, I think, twice every year, uh, they host budding musical playwrights um, to do 20-minute musicals. I did one, Nia, which is uh, right there. You see the poster. Uh, they, they showcase that. And so, um, and he's been doing that. I, I'm not sure how long Musical Cafe's been around, but it's a wonderful venue and it's a wonderful it's place. It's a fairly recent thing. They, they got very excited about um, trying to, because it's, it's part of Play Cafe. So they got excited about trying to make a space specifically for musicals. It's only been maybe a couple of years. Yeah, but it's fantastic. It's fantastic as, a, um, as an actor. That's how I first got involved. And I... Um, I saw something flash. Any case, um, and it's great for a budding writer uh, to do, and they do like 20 minute segments of the plays. Mm -hmm. And so his birthday is today. Happy birthday, um, Richard Jennings. Also, um, yesterday, uh, a, uh, I usually do these, uh, so I graduated from Duke Ellington School of the Arts and one of my mentors with Ar Arthur Leo Taylor, who is an actor and a dancer and his birthday is today. And I believe he's still doing it. Um, Yay. Also, yay, yay. Uh, Craig Souza, a fantastic actor and director. He usually uh, works with the Exit Theater. He's done a bunch of plays for Scott Munson. He's worked with the Douglas Morrison Theater. Mm -hmm. And he was a member of East End Repertory Company. Uh, Craig ah. Souza, his birthday is tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Also tomorrow, Kari Moy. And yay. you and I both know Kari. And he is a, a great black actor. Uh, he played Martin Luther King Jr. in uh, It Was All the Way. It was a, um, uh -huh. a it was a play done at the CCCT, mm -hmm. uh, documenting um, the elect the presidency of Lyndon B. Johnson, 
and the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and Kari Moy was a big part of that. Mm -hmm. So his birthday is, is tomorrow. Also tomorrow, Leslie Wagner. She's a director and actress, and I, I worked with her. I you know Leslie. Yay. Yeah, small world, see? Uh, she and I were, uh, we worked on um, Bat Boy, Bat Boy the Musical. Ah. And uh, so she was cool. I think she was also in Debbie Does Dallas the Musical. So, <laughs> yay. <laughs> um, on Monday, uh, Stacy Cray, uh, she was a, she also participated in the musical cafe. She had a musical that she wrote uh, that was featured uh, right alongside with mine. And so I want to say happy birthday to Stacy. Her birthday is on Monday. Yay. Also Tuesday, David Stein. And um, we, I think all of us know David Stein. Uh, he is a, a great actor. He's also a great writer. He wrote yes. the short piece, um, Appointment at Sonora, talking about what's happening during the zero tolerance policy with the illegal immigration and the capturing of kids mm -hmm. by the Trump administration. So in any case, his birthday is on Tuesday. And tomorrow I'll be going to his birthday party. So I'll be doing that on Tuesday. Wait a minute, live? Uh, I believe so. Of what? course, it'll be social distancing. I'll of have course. a mask on or whatever, but uh, yeah. So that'll yeah. be awesome. Uh, I wanna see who else I have. That's it. Uh, actually, oh, I'm sorry, um, well, there's, there are birthdays that'll be a, a, a more than a week from now, but we'll talk about that on the next yeah, yay. We'll get there. Um, I've got Nicholas Strub. Um, he's a, a performer. Uh, it's funny when I say somebody's a clown, that has always been a pejorative in my life until I met people who are clowns and the work that they do and then the way that work informs so much of what we do in theater. The silly and the absurd are the things that make us stay human. So... He's, he's an amazing clown. Uh, his birthday is tomorrow. Rebecca Stockley, who is part of, well, I met her as part of BATS, Bay Area Theater Sports. Uh, she's part of the improv community here, major teacher for them. Um, and her birthday is coming up. Um, I'm going to throw one out. I usually avoid non-theater ones, but uh, Francesca Ochoa was my seventh grade homeroom teacher. Wow. Um, and kind of, yeah, and kind of put me, uh, they had just started a, they were doing these minority programs, right? Gifted student programs. Um, they had just started one, and I was one of the first students that she put in it. And I realized I'm so grateful to her. So many folks in that position would have been pushing me in the other direction. And instead, this woman, I, and I, I remember going to, I went to special classes and stuff. And I'd go thinking, why am I going and nobody else is going? Um, and, but it, put me in a mindset that allowed me to think when it was time to go to college, of course I'm going to college. Why wouldn't I go to college? I'm smart. I'm gifted. Uh, so her birthday's coming up. Uh, Jonathan Gonzalez, Minchu Gonzalez, because he is now married. Um, and I believe he's in Texas. I met him as an actor and we did uh, Midsummer Night's Dream. No, yeah, Midsummer Night's Dream for San Francisco Shakespeare Festival tour way back in the 90s. Um, but I think he now lives in Texas and is still doing theater. Um, and Ed Decker. That's a weird one. Ed Decker, who runs the uh, New Conservatory Theater. I didn't know we were even friends on Facebook. <laughs> uh, but his birthday is on the 1st. Um, uh, Robert Sicular is a Bay Area, one of the um, 
older gents of our Bay Area theater scene. Um, he has been around. He, I remember not long ago, he was up in Ashland for a few seasons, but he got tired and wanted to come home. <laughs> um, but you'll see his name pop up all over the place. Amazing actor, really wonderful. And then on the other end of the spectrum, Catherine Luckenbach is a young actress I worked with, worked with last summer on As You Like It with uh, SF Shakes. Um, and it was funny because she was part of the interns and understudy crew, and we'd see them doing their work it was always fun to kind of, you know, check that out and go, oh, this is the new generation coming up. Yeah, y'all, y'all do that. And I've got two more. Uh, Wes Lee um, is a Filipino uh, actor, wonderful young man. And I just saw him in a short, uh, Jeffrey Lowe's short. I think we linked it. Um, oh, did we? Okay. Yeah, he's the actor in that. It's a corona um, love story, coronavirus love story. Really cute. He's in that. His birthday is Friday. And finally, Myers Clark. I don't know if you guys know Myers Clark, but a wonderful Bay Area actor. Um, has, did he do Home, I think, with the Lorraine Hansberry Theater? Uh, one of their first productions in years was Home. It was like I, last year or the year before. Um, and he played, I believe he played the lead in that. So those are my birthdays for the week. All right. Um, the only plug-in that I would have, it looks like all three of us, well, I don't know if we've even accepted, but um, we got an invitation. I just accepted while we were doing this. <laughs> there you go. But we uh, will be doing yet another August Wilson piece. Um, I don't know all of the details, but it'll be, uh, it looks like the last Saturday in July. July Radio um, Golf. At 8 a.m. on Radio Golf. Yeah. July 25th, 8 p.m. Right on. And so, um, and we'll have other yay episodes, so we'll talk and we'll be promoting that. Also, uh, I had a wonderful conversation with Aureen Almario, and she'll be our next guest on the yay, and we'll talk about uh, Bindlestep, and they'll be producing uh, one of my short pieces called The Informer, yay. which is an adaptation of Bertrand Brecht's uh, piece, The Informer, but done in a Filipino setting during, um, and it talks about Trump and ICE and illegal immigration, that sort of stuff. Um, I may have to move the date. The date was supposed to be the last Saturday in July, but of course that'll conflict with radio golf. So we'll, I'll tell you more about what the date will be, but I'm so glad to be working with Bendelstiff and uh, with Michael Dorado. Yeah. <laughs> and his daughter, his daughter will be. Wow. So that'll be cool. Uh, Kimberly, did you want to, um, we'll, we'll have the link to uh, your play. Yeah. You got her link in the chat? Yep. Great. Kimberly, did you have a good time? I had a ball. I am so flattered that you thought of me and that you had me today. Um, yeah, this, this made my morning, my afternoon. Well, so we definitely wanted to have you. I mean, you know, obviously, uh, this is my first time. Well, you know, when we... I really hadn't met you, you know, prior to a month ago, but I mean, after doing two readings and, you know, there seems to be such prestige about you and your name and the people who have worked with you. They're like, oh, you know, Kimberly Ridgeway and Norman and I both said, hey, we've got to have you on the A. So Yay. we're very happy to have you. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Norman, you got to get out of here. So let me do my little blurb. Uh, yeah. For folks, you're already watching this on YouTube. Um, but uh, for those who uh, will listen, we're also, the audio version of this will be on any podcast app that you listen to. We're on Spotify. We're on the Apple Podcast app. For those of you who are uh, Android users, you can use the SoundCloud app or just go on soundcloud.com and you'll find us. The Yay was created by theater people for, for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. Hit us up on Twitter, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. I'm at Red Space Clay. 
And I'm at Hoosier Hoosier. Um, Kimberly, do you have a Instagram or um, uh, Twitter yes, uh, handle? I do. I, it's, it's at Chaos 15, K-H-A-O-S-S-1-5. And then, of course, the book of faces at just Kimberly Ridgeway. <laughs> right on. So if you're looking for a great director or an actress, you can't go wrong with Kimberly Ridgeway. And as we always say, we gotta, we gotta find a better sign off. And we are out. Thank you guys. 